a reading by William Stafford called The Way It Is. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread, but it's hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. The second reading is from Audre Lorde from an essay called Poetry is Not a Luxury. Audre Lorde was a self-described black woman warrior poet who died from cancer in 1992. These words written 40 years ago now remain as provocative to me now as when I first encountered them. They're excerpted from her essay, Poetry is Not a Luxury, which is in a book of essays called Sister Outsider, which would be on my desert island had I only five books. She writes this. Poetry is not a luxury. It is a vital necessity of our existence. Poetry is the way we help give name to the nameless so it can be thought. The farthest horizons of our hopes and fears are cobbled by our poems carved from the rock experiences of our daily lives. Right now I could name at least 10 ideas I would have found frightening or incomprehensible, except they came after dreams and poems. This is not idle fantasy, but a disciplined attention to the true meaning of, it feels right to me. We can train ourselves to respect our feelings and to transpose them into a language that can be shared. And where that language does not yet exist, it is poetry which helps to fashion it. Poetry is not only dream and vision, it is the skeleton architecture of our lives. It lays the foundation for a future of change, a bridge across our fears of what has never been before. Ever want is 
always such joy to be here especially when I want to just say how wonderful it is to be here and to feel Ruth McKenzie's loving arms around the whole service that allows me to relax in a way that I often can't as a guest preacher 
and also to rest in the beauty of Namely Brennett's music CDs for sale downstairs after the service. <laughs> I wasn't in the conversation which surfaced pilgrimage as the theme for late summer worship, but I imagine it went something like this. Well, in late summer, a lot of people are taking trips or no people are taking trips, so why not talk about the spiritual dimension of travel? That would be pilgrimage. When Justin Schroeder called me, he said something along the lines of, so it's about pilgrimage. I figure you're pretty familiar with that by now. And I said, oh, yeah, sure, easy. And then I did that thing that I do, that thing which Garrison Keillor says causes people like me to need a head stop program, not a head start one. I thought too much about it. Has anyone else been in that room? Say hi, Meg, if you also need that program. Thank you, thank you. I thought too much about the theme of pilgrimage. I began to fret about the fact that Wikipedia says pilgrimages are about intentional journeys to meaningful places. And this summer, in fact, I have canceled a number of trips, including an all-expenses-paid trip to the Italian Alps. I know, because I felt like I needed to stay home for some reason, but I don't know why. So what do I have to say about pilgrimages, I started to think. And worse yet, the past few weeks when I cleared the decks of a lot of work responsibilities and demands, I have spent an embarrassing number of hours cranking up my ozone-depleting air conditioner and playing a stupid game called Jewel Quest on my computer. <laughs> what are you doing, I ask myself, before clicking continue. And dimly, I think maybe this is what people mean when they say midlife crisis, and then click continue. <laughs> Finally, I did that other thing that saves me over and over. I laughed at myself. With compassion, mind you, shaking my head the way I might at my dog, who will chase squirrels knowing, as I know, that she will never catch one. And while laughing at myself, I put out a call on the church Facebook page for help because I thought at least I could throw out a few names of other people here who are taking real trips this summer. I thought I could say, you know, I might be in the Barca Lounger, but I know people who have gotten up. <laughs> and so I asked people to name their own pilgrimages, and then Douglas Owens Pike saved me too because Doug wrote me a long and beautiful email about how he and Suzanne have been called to create a sustainable farm and all that they've been doing to create and to share that abundant vision of life. And when I read that, I thought, well, he knows. He knows that pilgrimage could be about deepening a sense of home, too. He didn't go to Mecca. He started creating one. And that relaxed me about what this word pilgrimage might mean in our community. Perhaps not just a physical journey to an externally defined place, even if that's how other religions define it. And I won't tell you all of the virtual online pilgrimages I took, but trust me, you can do them all. I realized that I was looking in my thoughts for something that can only be found by paying attention to what Audrey Lorde calls disciplined attention to my feelings. And right now, though my feelings are somewhat uncomfortable and agitated, I'm doing what I'd call stewing in my own juices this summer. I have learned by doing this enough times that this is what I need to do to form the first element of pilgrimage, the longing stage. 
the stage where you long for something. I know myself well enough by now to know that I tend to figure out what I do want, regrettably, by naming and experiencing what I don't want. Call it a curse or a personality trait. Longing sounds kind of like a beautiful romantic thing, and sometimes it is, but I found that for me, often as not, it starts with the sense that things are not the way I want them to be. In my favorite book on the topic of longing, John O'Donohue's Eternal Echoes, Celtic Reflections on Our Yearning to Belong, he writes, many of the really powerful sources in contemporary society work to seduce human longing along the pathways of false satisfaction. Seriously, those really high scores in Jewel Quest aren't really what I'm longing for? <laughs> O'Donohue says when our longing becomes numbed out, our sense of belonging becomes empty and cold. This intensifies the sense of isolation and distance so many people feel. The restlessness in the human heart will never be finally stilled by any person, project, or place. The longing is eternal. He says there is a constant and vital tension between longing and belonging. Without the shelter of belonging, our longings would lack direction, focus, and context. They would be aimless and haunted, constantly tugging the heart in a myriad of opposing directions. When longing dies, creativity ceases. The arduous task of being a human is to balance longing and belonging so that they work with and against each other to ensure that all the potential and gifts that sleep in the clay of the heart may be awakened and realized in this one life. He's such a good writer. He goes on to say that when we're grounded in our deepest sense of belonging, we can dare to let our longing lead us toward the mountain of transfiguration. Or as Audre Lorde would say, poetry lays the foundation for a future of change, a bridge across our fears of what has never been before. Walking on that bridge across our fears, climbing the mountain of transfiguration, that's the pilgrimage we're all on, if we dare to undergo it. For me, in order to have the courage and strength necessary, I have to create a support system which will be there for me, which will hold me when I am vulnerable. I have to do this on every level, from the most mundane to the most cosmic. Namalie Brennett's anthem of belonging, which she sang for us this morning, came to her as a gift, she said, when she needed it. I know that I have listened to it many times when I need to remember to offer gratitude for all of the places I belong. The earth, the sky, the numbers without name. Savoring the gifts of artists and poets and musicians is one place of deep belonging for many of us. But ultimately, whether I can carry a tune or hold a brush or put two words together, I am called to receive and offer my gifts to the world if I truly want to belong to it. Because we already know how the story ends. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. In between, we ask ourselves, 
How do we find a way to offer all of the potential and gifts that sleep in the clay of the heart? How do we see the farthest horizons of our hopes and fears? In my experience, pilgrimages often take me where I don't expect to go. The mountain I end up climbing, the bridge I end up crossing is not the one I imagined it to be. The journey itself has another plan for me. As I stew in my own longing and seek to deepen my own sense of belonging so that I might take my own next steps, I keep thinking about and stewing about who I can be as a white American, so deeply frustrated by how little I feel my choices in life thus far have offered to impact the racism that permeates every aspect of all of our lives. Obviously, I speak in the wake of George Zimmerman's not guilty verdict, which I know continues to plague many of us, but my own distress ramped up this summer earlier when the Supreme Court dismantled the Voting Rights Act. Since then, all of my blogs on the Huffington Post and all of my prayers on patheos.com have taken me to bang on the big door speaking as a white person about the dehumanization of people of color again and again but I want to do more than blog. I know I have more to offer, and I'm so excited to hear about the book group to start white people thinking together about this. Because as I think about belonging and with whom I belong on this planet, a large part of my journey is finding other people with whom I feel I can access the possibilities and gifts that I have. This congregation is taking up a difficult conversations around race project this year, and I trust that such a step will lead to other action steps. And I know that it comes after many steps that have already been taken here by many of you in the room. So this church is one of the communities which will help me to crank up my own longing to awaken the potentials and gifts that sleep in the clay of my heart. Gifts which might skew the world even a tiny bit towards respect for the worth and dignity of every person. But I want to ground my life more in creating resistance and hope in my ministry at, with the Church of the Larger Fellowship in my daily life. And I don't yet know what that means. I'm reaching out when I see little glimmers of yes come by. And right now, I'm stewing. We might have a glossy hallmark, each moment more inspiring than the one before, happily ever after image of what pilgrimage looks like. But every pilgrim I know on occasion stews, frets, numbs out, whines, snaps, and looks back longingly towards the base camp on the way up that mountain. One place I've been drawn again and again is post Katrina, New Orleans, which I visited a number of times in a number of capacities. As the minister of the CLF, I decided we would have an annual work trip there, and so over Martin Luther King Day weekend, we had our first one last year to offer our collective gifts to that beautiful, struggling city. So last year, we held a number of pre-meeting calls to get to know each other and to talk about logistics and anxieties. And I said in one of those calls that one thing you can count on with the pilgrimage is that things may not go according to plan, and that actually right then, instead of being irritated, that's the place to wake up and pay attention, because often that's where the real pilgrimage takes place. That's all well and good for others, but when we were there, 
and I was driving an enormous van load full of people around from place to place, coordinating by cell phone with other such vehicles. I kind of forgot my own advice. I was often fretting about the fact that we were pretty much always late, and I was always the one who had to explain this tardiness to whoever we were keeping waiting. We were there, it turned out, just as the Mardi Gras parade season was opening. This goes on for weeks. And it got to be a joke after a while, the phone calls I would make. I'm sorry we're late, there's a parade, I would say, as we sat once more in backed up traffic. What I loved is that in New Orleans, a parade is an absolutely acceptable and unsurprising reason for lateness. Oh, a parade, people would say. Homeowners waiting for us to come to their house or community agency leaders waiting to give us a tour. They'd say, oh, well, yeah, a parade. We'll see you when you get here. <laughs> At the end of the trip, I said I wanted to make a bumper sticker that said, parades happen. <laughs> the first parade, I sat in that giant van fretting. By the sixth or seventh one, I turned the car off, jumped out in the street, and enjoyed the parade with everybody else. <laughs> that was my pilgrimage. The poet William Stafford wrote a poem every single day for decades, including the day he died suddenly of a heart attack. 26 days before he died, he wrote the way it is. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread, but it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. No one else can hold the thread you follow, so you don't ever let it go. When I hear Anomaly Brennett's music, I might think, oh, let her just sing the whole hour. It would be way better than people listening to me talk. When I start to read John O'Donohue or Audrey Lorde's words, I might respond, oh, why don't I just read this whole essay? It's so profound, and all I've got to offer right now is high scores in Jewel Quest. <laughs> but even so, with whatever I do or don't have to offer, it's my turn to step up and speak. I need to trust that even when I don't know where I am, I am holding the thread. In your life, when it's your turn, no matter how little you might feel in the moment you have to offer, may you find the courage and strength to offer what is yours with all the generosity and grace you can muster to put your feet onto the poetry that is yours alone to walk. Ultimately, we know how the story ends, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We only get to shape the narrative of the middle chapters, and only then, if we dare to dream and to act, to trust the one thread, whether others can see it or not. May you dare to dream your dream, the dream that is only yours, to long for it, to walk it, to offer it to the world. And may this community shelter each of us and help us to guide our feet on that path. Will you sing with me about that commitment?